0: You're listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists machinist by a machinist. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protean Machining. And this week, I'm joined by Daniel Osborne of Oz Machine Company. Welcome, Daniel. Hey, how's it going, Dylan? Doing well. Thanks for coming on the show and taking the time. I really appreciate it. For anybody who doesn't know who you are, where they can find you, all that stuff, what is Oz Machine Company? Kind of a 30,000 foot view. What do you guys do?
1: Well, my name is Daniel Osborne of Oz Machine Company. Like you said, I'm um, the owner and the operator. We're just a small shop in Attica, Indiana, and we make really nice high-end folding knives. You can find us on Instagram mainly. That's my main thing. Um, Oz Machine Company is the Instagram handle. That's about it. I got Facebook, but it gets neglected. I'll be honest about that. Definitely Instagram man myself.
0: So let's get into your backstory. How did you get to where you you know, own your own shop and you're making your own knives and have some really cool machinery?
1: Okay, we'll go all the way back to... High school machine trades. Junior year, I did machine trades in high school. My high school had a pretty decent one. I didn't even do it senior year. I was kind of a horrible student, honestly, in high school and and in college. Um, But I did it one year, and I definitely enjoyed it. But it wasn't, I guess I didn't like it enough. There was no CNC machines in that. It was all manual. Um, I didn't enjoy it enough to pursue that after high school. So I ended up going to community college for like, working on cars and I hated that was a horrible student ended up doing what most kids do and they get out of high school partying and doing all kinds of crazy stuff until eventually I got arrested which was probably the best thing that ever happened to me not for nothing crazy but just you know pot and and all that stuff drinking underage and I ended up moving back in with my parents and that was awesome because we had a family friend that got me in at a machine shop that's low just with that one year of experience in high school. So it wasn't like a formal apprenticeship or anything like that, but I got in there. I was the only young person. There was six older guys and they were all from like 60 to 70 years old, All all manual machines. And it was kind of funny. It was like each old man had his own little area and his own manual lathes that no one could touch and they needed someone to run the two like Bridgeport mills they had. So I'm definitely a big advocate for learning manual first. I know it's like the slowest way to learn machining, but I know a lot of people are steering away from that, but I definitely like that. I learned that first, um, just for doing odd jobs. If I need to run over to my Bridgeport or something. But anyways, I worked there for six years, maybe seven and in that time, In the first year or two um my supervisor was um, complaining about not having cnc equipment because he knew how to do all that stuff and finally they got a brand new it was like a they were dmg machines or not not dmg dmc so it was like a taiwanese machine of some kind but they were brand new just a little lathe and a manual mill or a cnc mill And right before we got those, two months before, the supervisor I had that knew how to run them quit and went to another job. So when they showed up, it was like I was the only young guy in there. So naturally, they just gave me all the books and said, okay, uh, learn how to run these things. And that was awesome because I think that's a great way to learn, uh, especially for me, just self-taught, you know, figuring it out on my own. Um, But I I figured it out, um, got to where i could program i pretty good and eventually in that seven year span of working there um, they moved me to like a team lead position where i did all the purchasing of the material for the jobs we had coming in i did all the programming and job scheduling um so it was a great place to work as a first job and i stayed there a long time and learned a ton they they paid to shoot me to some some classes and stuff on programming and stuff like that and Um, and I got to, you know, do the job scheduling stuff, order material and tools and keeping everything stocked, which is a lot of what I do now. So (laughs) it was, it was definitely a great experience. I enjoyed it a lot. Um,
0: what kind of work was the shop focused on?
1: It was like, um, it's kind of like a job shop, but the, the, the place was called true flex metal hose. And what they make is the flexible exhaust bellows that goes on semi trucks and campers and stuff like that um so all the machines that they had there we built all the machines so if something would break which happened all the time we would have to make the part you know it would come in we'd have to make a part for the machine to fix it because you can't just buy the parts um most of the time but we did some some jobs like they opened a plant in poland and we had to build like 30 small machines to make these Um, components you know like just stuff to mount on seam welders and and things like that um if you want to be able to picture what this stuff looks like if you ever seen like a old metal gas can with the metal spout that is like you can bend it and flex it Mm -hmm. so that's like an interlocking hose so we made that stuff um they also had a bunch of hydroformers where they would take sheets of stainless and laser weld them together and then take the tube that they just laser welded and use a hydroformer to make bellows. So it looked like an accordion so it could bend and flex and vibrate and it wouldn't break bolts and stuff on the semis. So it was all pretty cool stuff. um, But we were just fixing the machines and building new machines to keep the production line going. So at at, at some point uh, while I was working there, I knew I wanted to have my own shop. I wanted to make my own products, and I was like, man, I've been here seven years. If I stay any longer, I'm probably just going to be a lifer here and just never leave, be comfortable, um, you know, and so I decided, you know what, I need to get out of here. I, I started making stuff while I worked there in in the evenings, but that was like my very first product I made. Sorry, I'm probably jumping all over the place, but oh. it was in 2014. I made a license plate bracket for a Sportster motorcycle. And this was before I had, all I had was a manual mill. So that was the first machine I ever bought was a web mill, which is like a knockoff bridge port. Um, so I used it and my TIG welder and a press at work and made these bent license plate brackets. And that didn't go so well. I got them powder coated and laser cut and all this stuff, had all this money tied up in it and hardly sold any of them. So eventually I started getting into making just random stuff in, in my evenings. Like for Harley Davidson's I'm, I was really into motorcycles for a while. I still am, but I have kids now and decided to get rid of my Ducati cause I can't ride slow. Um,
0: right. I, I know so, that feeling for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I like hot rods a lot and I like, um, I've built a couple really cool sportsters. And so I got into the floorboards and, and that definitely didn't pan out either. They, they did better. I made some money on those, but wasn't great. But while I was working at TruFlex, I knew I needed to get somewhere where I could get, see how like a production environment worked and see how they get parts out, you know, on a daily basis and their control plans and all that. And I really wanted to go somewhere where I could get second shift because at my old job, we were working six days a week, 10 hour days for years. So when you get off, uh, especially if it was a stressful day, there's no AC kind of ragged out and uh, I just didn't feel like working on my, my other stuff, you know, in the evening, so it got neglected a lot. So I thought, okay, if I can get second shifts, I can wake up and put in some hours and then go into my job while I'm, while I'm tired and, and work for them. So. That's where I, what I did. I quit there and I went to a Caterpillar Large Engine Manufacturing Plant in Lafayette, Indiana. So they make the engines that go in the big generators that power hospitals. Um, the engine that I made mostly went in locomotives and the big dump trucks, like the biggest, the world's biggest dump truck that Caterpillar makes. So um, it was definitely a change of pace from working on like normal size stuff so now i'm going in there and uh gauging holes that are like 12 inch diameter that's the piston bore it's like 12 inch. (laughs) like you could put a five gallon bucket down in this thing and they're 20 cylinder blocks so huge tools um it was definitely it was awesome they put me on in the best spot you could work in in that plant um it was a line of aldrich Coburg machines i don't know if you ever heard of them they're like i haven't they're big bridge mills. Um, they were saying that each one was like a $12 million machine. Jeez. And the line I was on, there was 10 of them. And they are all fed by this huge pallet system that was like... I mean, you can imagine how big those blocks are if they're 20-cylinder blocks. And they're that big of pistons. So they're crazy long. Um, I think they were probably right under 12-foot long was the longest one that we would machine. Um And this pallet system would load those in these machines. So I ran two of them and we didn't have to load the blocks or anything. There was a load guy and he would load them, clamp them down and they would just come in and I was just checking holes. It was so boring though. It was like, it was miserable. Um, so like some nights, like a lot of the programs were like, one was 12 hours long. So you wouldn't even see it get done in your eight hour shift. And, uh, and like some, sometimes if you're in the right programs, you come in and maybe check one hole with like a gauge pin and then flip inserts, like two tools all night long. So it was like, it was torture for me. Um, but I did get to learn how they have control plans where pretty much that whole place is cranking out parts at a very high level. And there is not very many skilled operators in that place. Like. It's amazing that they can do that because their control plans are so good and they have pictures and, and documents and you know their checks are on point. So that was really cool to figure out all that stuff. And, and, and it was neat kind of running those machines. Like one of the tools I always thought was fun to watch, there's an oil hole that goes right through the center of the block lengthwise. And it's a three-inch hole. So there was a three-inch gun drill that was six foot long. And that machine <laughs> could pull that thing in there and spin it around in the machine, and then drill from one side and then come in and drill from the other side. Um, but it was they were crazy. Um, like there was like six spindles on each machine, so it would change from like that big 90 degree head for the gun drill that had like a huge HSK taper, and then it would switch to like um, a different spindle that had like a, a Cat 50 or something like that, and they were all different. Um, one of them was like a five axis tilting head for doing the, the the head faces and stuff like that. So, definitely cool to, to check it out, but it was torture for me because I like to do more than just stand there and stare into the machine.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, but it sounds like you were a glorified babysitter oh, at yeah. a lot of it.
1: Like. Oh, yeah. You could, I mean, anybody could get my mom could go in there and run that machine, you know, with the pictures and documents <laughs> they have. Um, but it was definitely a good experience. And I was, really getting into the knives at that point. So I was bringing in parts and working on them while the machines ran like hit sitting their hand sanding stuff and, um, mm-hmm. being sneaky like that, but, <laughs> but I really wanted to get the knives going. So I was, I was passionate about it, but I was working, you know, at least six hours every morning on knives and then going in and working eight hours, second shift. And I did that for a little over two years. So it was pretty brutal. Um, definitely glad that that little stint is over. Um, but then eventually I got to go full-time making knives. That was in July of 2020. I'd made 64 knives at that point. So I, I did like the first handful and then I did a pre-order of 50 and the pre-order was pretty much where you get to pick any of your specs, um, build it how you want, um, a lot of customer communication in that, that, that model. And that's not really how we do it now. Um, but the 50 spots sold out like in seconds. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do these. And I got a, a good feeling that, you know, down the road, I'll be able to sell more of these. And that's definitely been the case. Um, but that's, that's pretty much up to date. As far as that, I, I got some things wrote down here, so I didn't forget, um, to mention like uh, machine purchases so i already told you i got that my first machine i ever bought was that web manual mill the first cnc machine i got and i think you had one similar but a little bit newer and this was in early 2017 was a brother tc228 and uh, which is like the one right before i think you had that t that the t like 2sb or whatever
0: I, I have those. an A as well, actually, but mine's just a TCS 2A. So I have the the drum instead of the side tool changer.
1: Okay. Well, this one was this one was like just like the normal Speedios in the front. Oh really? Yeah, but it was I think it had twelve tools or ten, um, and it was a 1998, and that was definitely I was like so excited to buy that machine. It had an issue and it needed cleaned up badly, and I got it and I picked it up from this guy and he had like a couple of the ones you're, that you have that were like the early 2000s model. Mm-hmm. And he had those running when I got into his shop and it was just him in his backyard in a pool bar. I'm like, yes, this is what I want to do. This is awesome. <laughs> and But I was I should have thought more, like, why is he selling this one? Because it had, it had a problem. I fixed it. It was just like a little alarm. I, it was something real simple, like a sensor needed moved or something. Um, but I fixed it, cleaned it all up, and went to go run some code and realized that they do not drip feet so do not if anybody's listening that's thinking about buying a like a 90s brother there might be some way to do it i didn't know how and was that a
0: zero control
1: i think so i'm pretty okay. sure it was
0: yeah there's a way but it, it costs money and if you it's have to get like a, one of those
1: dnc things to mount to the side or something but i yeah. couldn't figure it out and i was like oh my gosh this thing like i can drill holes and tap holes but i can't do hardly anything on this machine I had no yeah. memory. So luckily I somehow got, I sold it. And the guy was going to just pretty much use it to drill and tap holes. So I didn't take a huge loss, but that was like a big roadblock, And I was like, man, should I keep doing this? Or maybe this isn't meant to be. Cause I had to like beg the bank to give me the, and it was a cheap machine, but I had to beg them to give me the loan to get that, that machine. And then it, you know, didn't work for me. So I was like, okay, I think that machine cost me $8,000. And I was like, the next one I'm doubling down. I'm getting a really nice machine. I'm getting been at fifteen grand, and uh, it was it was a great machine. It was actually older, but it could drip feed and it was a ninety five robo drill t ten b i think it was, but it had a fourth axis, which was really handy and I would you know love to have one now, but i wouldn't use i don't need i don't have parts I need it for, but they are so handy um so I got it, and I used it for um long time so that was probably in early that was probably 2017 i made all the floorboards that i was making on it um i started making kind of everyday carry stuff the first thing i made was a knuckle duster i don't know if you know what that is but i made one of the some of those and they were selling and the edc community which stands for everyday carry if no one knows um which is like pocket knives and gear like that is is really awesome community and as soon as I started making stuff um like that it was like okay these these guys are really cool and they want to support small business and american manufacturing so i made a pry bar next and i still make those pry bars but i just don't have time I haven't restocked them in a long time but made a pry bar um thing made some like beads for lanyard beads and just little stuff like that until finally i was like okay i want to make a knife i've wanted to make a knife um since i was you know probably 10 years old i wanted to make a knife and i've actually got one that i tried just on a belt sander it was a piece of uh, spring steel i can't remember what it was some kind of spring steel that was hardened i got from my work and i don't know when that was that i did that it's probably like 2011 and i just it is the worst little piece of crap ever but i got it in <laughs> a i got it in a frame so that was like my first knife but then i always said i wanted a really high end knife um but i didn't want to um, spend the money on one because I'm, I'm pretty tight all the time. I'm pretty frugal. Um, so I didn't want to buy one. I always said, I'm just going to get better at CNC machining until I can make one. And uh, so I, the first one I made was... Uh, hold on one second. Let me look this up because I didn't want to mess these dates up. I had to go back through my Instagram and figure out when all this stuff was. December 2018. So this is the little fixed blade knife. It was tiny. You could only put like two fingers on it, but I really wanted to figure out how to machine the bevels because at first that's, I started out machining the bevels before I went to grinding them. Um, So that was December 2018. And then March 2019 was when I made the first Roosevelt prototype. And that's the knife that we make now. And it's the only model that we make. Um, And so the first prototype was March 2019. Then shortly after that, Um, in June was this big knife show that I'd heard about. And it was uh, a blade show in Atlanta. So it's Mm -hmm. like the world's largest knife show. And so I really pushed to get six of these Roosevelt's that I thought were worthy to sell. And they're all sequentially numberized. Um, So I had the first six and I went to this knife show and I just went to everybody that I recognized as a knife maker, even people that I didn't really recognize that I could tell were knife makers. And I just, Put them in their face and said tell me what you hate about it just grill me on it you know i was like i got thick skin i want to i want to get better i want to make this knife better and uh, i really thought i'd get a lot of negative feedback from people and and some things to improve upon but everybody loved them and i was like okay you know i i might have something here this is pretty cool because some of these guys have been making knives for 30 years and they're cnc guys too they're not doing the handmade stuff like they're making very nice knives and saying how impressed they were i was like okay this is awesome so i'm going to focus all my energy on this this model just making it better and that's what i mean for the last three years we've been doing i'm um, just um, getting better and better um at making them so we actually did our first blade show this year where we were actually an exhibitor and it was it was crazy we, we took we only took 80 knives and we split them up over the, a two-day span. But both days we had people running to our table, you know, just full sprint across the room. And, uh, it's just so cool to get, to go to a trade show like that and get to shake those guys' hands that really want to support you or, or have been supporting you or, or the guys that even are trying, but they can't, cause we can't make the knives fast enough. How many um, are you up
0: to No.
1: So we are getting, we're getting real close to 800 right now.
0: Wow. Congrats. Um, that's a it, lot.
1: yeah thanks it's it's definitely exponentially we're getting every all the processes more dialed and and bringing in my brother as a help um full time help definitely was very key um but before I did that um got an employee, I wanted to get a a new machine because I was like there's it's already sketchy enough. i'm full time with this old ninety five machine <laughs> my family's relying on me to make money with it. Um, I definitely need to buy something new. So I bought my, my brother speedio S 1000. They got delivered in January, 2021. And so it kind of was funny because it got delivered and I was working out of a two and a half car garage at the time. And it was just jam packed. Once I put that S 1000 in there and I had my, my big workbench and manual mill, manual lay, the tumbler, and it filled up very quick with that bigger CNC machine. So we moved, it got delivered in January and then we moved our house and our shop in March that same year. So I had it there for like installed for like a month, a couple months, you know? And so, but it was definitely a great, it was a great deal. Um, We were going to have to build a pole barn on our old house and it was a really nice place, but we didn't really want to stay there forever. And this property came up available with some awesome property. Um, some woods and a creek and all that um, and it had a pole barn on it and the house isn't that great but we we're like i was like honey we're gonna just live in this house for a couple of years and we're we need this shop and it's 2021 we're not gonna build a barn right now because it's just the wood prices were crazy back then i think they probably still are i haven't checked but they were definitely bad right after covid um and all that um so we moved got the new shop going it was it's a 30 by 60 pole barn and only half of it was insulated so the previous owner had a wall straight down the middle so really it square footage wise was not that much bigger than my old shop but it was just a little bit laid out a little better and had big doors so I could get machines in without tearing the header off and the sheet metal just to get it in there which I had to do with the speedio oh, I did tear just for it. a
0: couple of months <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did
1: just tear it all down and uh, it was funny when we went to move it out. It got delivered in January. So it was pretty cold and the ground was froze and it was a kind of a wet month in July when we went to move it or, what uh, when was that March? Um, when we went to move the machine and the riggers picked the machine up, backed out and I had like a blacktop driveway. And as soon as the front wheels on that fork truck hit the blacktop, they sank a foot into the ground and oh, framed no. out. I mean, the, the fork truck was buried. It was a nightmare, but luckily they had some big metal plates and they used another fork truck to get that one out of the hole and then used the metal plates to drive on from there. But it was definitely quite a process. Um, We got it in and then just this year, um, we just got a Swiss lathe to make all the screws for our our knives. All the components now will be made in-house, the bearings, the screws everything and we do everything else in house, except for the heat treat. That's the only thing we outsource. Um, which I'm totally fine with that. I'll definitely always let leave that for the experts to do because with their vacuum furnaces and all that. Um, but I knew with getting that long bar feeder and, and that machine, we needed to finish out the rest of the shop. So we finished it out, did a little expansion project on the back too. It had a lean to on the back that was 10 foot by the entire length of the building. So it was like 10 by 60. So we finished that out, added a bathroom um, and a kind of a room for the air compressor, tumbler and all that um, separate from the bathroom. So you don't have to listen to the tumbler while you're in there <laughs> taking a dump. And then part of it is just storage for my my personal stuff because um, it was in the other side of the shop. So now we moved that all around and and blew out that wall, finished it out. Um, so we got plenty of room now. We could add a couple more speedios, um, hopefully at some point. Um, cause it, it runs all the time, just making all the titanium parts and grinding the blades. It, it does a lot. Um, but shortly after, let's see, June, 2021. So i, I moved here in March and then in June hired my brother to come on full time and help me make knives and he wasn't, he's not really, he wasn't really into knives, um, but he's into bushcraft and big fixed blades and camping and stuff like that. So he liked it and he was doing finished construction, carpentry stuff. Um, and I heard he was kind of wanting, he's looking around, maybe wanting to go somewhere else. So I was like, Oh man, would you want to come help me? Cause I've been kind of hum hoing about it. Cause it's just a lot to do when you're like a one man shop. It's, it's like really scary to think about adding someone else. Um, but my brother, that was like an easier transition for sure. And we get along great. So, so he came on, he's been here working with me for a little over a year. And my second hire as a buddy of mine, he's coming on next week. So. Oh, congrats. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that. And he's, um, I thought my brother would be more into the machining side of things, but he definitely, he took on to the, the finish work, which is like a, a huge portion of making a knife is the blasting and the tumbling and deburring the little spots the tumbler can't get to. And then doing the anodizing, different finishes. And then the assembly. The assembly is by far the most time consuming part because every knife has to have a certain feel. It has to function and drop and drop shut and and feel the right way. And that's, it's pretty hard to teach. And, but he picked it up and over the last year, he's just been getting better and better. So I decided that it'd be smarter to keep him doing that. Um, get someone that has machine experience just to keep the speedio fed with parts all the time and eventually slide over and also keep the, uh, the Swiss running, um, but for now, I just want to learn the Swiss cause I'm like, I'm geeking out about it and it's, and it's also super frustrating. So I've been banging my head against it for a few days now, only you know just this last weekend and then yesterday i've had it after i've been trained you know for 3 days on it and it's it's easier in some ways than i thought it would be and it's definitely more difficult as well in weird ways i would have never thought of um okay. but yeah so well, i guess
0: i want to definitely get into the purchase decision of the swiss but okay. let's first run through the questions from the audience because we had a few uh, nice trim performance asked, do you ever miss the old robo and fourth axis setup?
1: I miss having a fourth axis for sure. Like, especially if I did like kind of oddball jobs or really anything besides like just straight like three axis parts that I make now for the knives, I would have a fourth axis on all my machines. I just think it adds so much to a machine, but I do not miss that robo drill at all, (laughs) at all. Because I mean it was it was fine and all, but like when I would cut a contour, like going around the handles of the knife, um, it just would not lay down a nice finish. You could see every step the little servo motors are taking. So then I would have to go around every scale and buff it, and I don't love that idea either because then you might change, you know, a dimension here or there. But it, it looks better, so you have to do it. Um, so it added a ton of work, and as soon as I got the Speedio going. I mean, it paid itself off so fast just from not having to buff every part and this lays down an awesome finish on, on titanium. Um
0: okay. awesome. Tux Garage asks, what's your favorite material to work in?
1: Definitely grade five titanium. I love it. I mean, and then if it that's my favorite to see like machined after the machine's done. Definitely not fun to watch because it's you're just creeping slow, it seems like, if you're used to cutting aluminum if i was man if I was saying favorite material to watch to like kind of geek out about my machine going fast it'd be sixty sixty one aluminum all day um and it's it's fun to it's fun to cut too but right now i just i love grade five titanium looks so good so clean and and crisp after you're done so
0: another question from him was what would your dream machine be
1: i feel i don't know i that I feel like that changes all the time um but like I would love to have a a burger, a big five-axis bevel grinder. So it's like a specific machine just to grind knife bevels. That's not a very fun answer for anyone that's not into knives. So if it it was like a, a more of a machining center, I'd want like a Grob G150 maybe. That'd be a dream machine, okay. or even just like any Matsura with a pallet changing system. Like even like an MX330 with with a PC10 would be awesome. Um, something where I could load it up, kind of set it and forget it, let it run handles over the weekend and stuff. Um, yeah, that definitely. would be my dream machine. I would say one of those
0: three <laughs> that i named. <laughs> and then Stang blade works asks, any tips for CNC grinding blades? It's very hard to find any info on the topic.
1: Yeah, it's definitely hard. I don't, cause I think mainly cause there's like only a two or three people that do it. Um, but I would definitely just coolant is huge. Like coolant is so key with that. Um, we use the CBN wheel. It's a cup wheel. So. The inside's hollow, and there's like a a quarter-inch of actual material on the outside. And it's a six-inch wheel in the S1000, which is too big. that You're not even supposed to run a six-inch tool in there. Um, so I actually just recently figured this out. If you put some extra line on the left side, um, coolant line, you can bring it around and shoot it at the front of the machine or the front of the wheel because um, if you're not getting... The coolant to hit it in the right spot and it to drag the coolant in, you're going to have burning and problems like that. Um, so, definitely, coolant is the hardest thing. Um, like, if your coolant lines are off a little bit, you're going to have all kinds of problems. Um, even like the velocity that the coolant is hitting the wheel, if it's hitting it too hard, it'll just, the wheel will just throw it off to the side. It, it's not like an end mill where it's going to suck it in and, and use the coolant, even if it's not ideally placed. It's just gonna fling it off um, the side of the the wheel so definitely coolant um, I use one tip that I think is really key after you grind the first side we flip it over and then the second side's unsupported uh, and I use a 3m fast set steel epoxy you can get it on McMaster car and do a reverse mold of that side and it's it's not super heat resistant like I think it only is like 200 degrees it'll melt um, and then if it does, it stinks like you would not believe. I mean, it is bad. It clear out the whole shop. But that doesn't really happen very much to us anymore. When we were figuring out the grinding process, it definitely did. Um, <laughs> but it's awesome because it supports it. I mean, it's even if you were we were using set screws and things like that to support the other side. And if you have like one or two that's off, you're just never going to get that vibration dampening and and as like a solid thing that's contacting the whole surface of the blade like that reverse mold. So that's a really key thing. And are you creating
0: that mold for every single blade? Or are you just using a a generic mold that you've already made?
1: Yeah. It's just pretty much, we just set up, dress the wheel, get everything running right. And we'll uh, run the first side operation, put some of that, um, fast set epoxy on the blade itself, bolt it down for op two, and then you leave it for about 10 minutes. You can pull the blade off. and then just let it dry. And it's exactly all the, you know, every feature that's on there, it's going to mimic it. And so it works cool. really good. Um, I've only had to redo it a couple times. You can run a lot of blades like that. Um, if you do like, if you change your geometry or where your your wheels go, and then you have to change the other side or else you'll have problems and, and things won't line up. Um, but yeah, it's working really good. And it's it's pretty crazy that wheel cuts the entire bevel on our blades in one pass so it's yeah it's creeping slow and that um i got a lot of this information from a buddy of mine that makes knives he was really helpful and he told me that and i was like yeah i'm gonna try a bunch of little passes (laughs) like that just doesn't sound right to me but it's definitely the way to go i think the wheel wore faster um doing a bunch of little passes but just using a surface grinder a lot in the past that that just didn't that didn't sound right to me. Taking a massive hog cut, going really slow, but it works great, um, and I think it, it it doesn't warp up like the. I did a bunch of little passes of, on really fast, like you would kind of think of a surface grinder doing, or a surface grinding wheel, even though I'm using it in a mill, and it just didn't work well. So, um, it's it's pretty weird because it's an eighth inch thick blade, and then it's tipped to where there's about a five thou um, flat on one, th- on the cutting edge. So it's cutting a lot of material. It's like probably a two inch tall, around two inches tall of a blade, maybe inch and a half, or something like that. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's a pretty big cut. Um, so it's kind of scary. First time that thing comes bogging in and uh, then I'm thinking, <laughs> Oh God, I'm going to break a pull stud or something. <laughs> right. But it really doesn't load the machine down very bad at all. Good. So are you feeding be in tips. from the
0: tip? To the plunge or are you feeding yeah, I, down into the plunge and out?
1: Yep. And that's, what, that's another thing I'm doing differently than I was told. Most people, from what I've heard, go from the plunge out. And that works well because that plunge radius is set by the outside of the wheel. So when you do that, you're mostly cutting all the rest of the blade with the inside of the wheel. So that edge can degrade and, and, and look you know, like a huge radius and whatever. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't change the, the plunge grind. Um, but that, that just uh, didn't seem right to me because you're using the whole width. It's like a, it's like a quarter or three inch or three eighths inch, um, thickness of grinding material. And you're just plunging that whole width straight down. And it was loading my, my S 1000 up like crazy. I don't have like a high torque one or anything. It's a S it's a 16,000 RPM spindle, mm-hmm. but that load meter was going way too high for my liking. And that was, I was thinking, eh, I don't, I don't like this. So I tried doing it the other way and I'm still trying to get an exact number for how many minutes of cut we can go before that front edge starts to, you know, get a radius on it enough to where I need to dress it down and how much it needs to be dressed. So I'm getting all those numbers dialed in, um, right now, but it works a lot better. It's a nice steady, it it just kind of gets gradually more load and you can run it twice as fast going from tip to plunge. You go from plunge to tip. It's it's just a lot slower. You can't get the coolant up under the wheel because that's where it needs to be. If you're doing that, um, it's much easier to get the coolant on the outside edge of the wheel. Um, so it works a lot better f- that way for us. But it's kind of opposite of what everybody else is doing.
0: Okay, that's, that's really cool. That's definitely. I could see that being very scary. Plunging the entire wheel. Off oh the yeah, plant. that sounds sketchy. I've been doing some. Slotting in Ti with a fairly large T slot cutter, and like that was, you know, equally like I don't want to do this. Like, oh, we figured yeah. it out, but like it was one of those things that was like, you know, I, I it didn't sound good at first, and we had to play with speeds and feeds and depth of cut and all that. I was like, all right, this, we'll we'll figure it out, but I I I know that feeling, you know, that, oh yeah, that punched yeah. up like, oh, what is this going to be?
1: Yeah, plunging down into sixty-four Rockwell material, it's sketchy. Well, yeah, I need to get one of those uh, SynchroMaster tapping heads that you have because we use 256 a lot and we, we use thread mills and definitely like to s- switch over to tap. I've tried it a few times in my speedio and just snap a tap on like the first hole. So I think oh, man. That, that tapping head is key that you got.
0: Yeah, I, I
1: for titanium I'm to, at
0: least. I'm trying to remember how many hundreds of holes we got out of one tap. I mean, I, I never changed the tap over the entire run i think it was 500 holes 550 holes something like that. that
1: that's amazing and you don't have to dial it in worry about it getting smaller on you and and there's really there's quite a bit of deflection i feel like in a 256 thread mill if it's not like a single point if it's doing you know multiple threads those little things get pushed over quite a bit so, yeah, well, I mean,
0: they're they're tiny. The neck on them is, is yeah. nothing, you know. Carbide's yeah. not flexy, but it is when you get that small for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, well, that takes us to shop news and new things, which is where I think you know the Swiss is kind of the newest thing and the best thing. And yeah. Text Garage asked about how'd you pick up the Swiss you you bought. So let's go into the whole purchasing decision. You know, why did you get a Swiss? Why not a lathe? Why the specific Swiss? All yeah. That
1: yeah i definitely swiss was like the only option in my mind like to make the little 256 screws that we make the eighth inch dowel pins um and the bearings and everything so i knew i wanted a swiss lay just because how fast they are and um obviously it's a lot more money um but i also want to get into making some other products with it that it's going to be i mean very key for like i want to start making a titanium pin so it's like a pretty small diameter four inch long tube you know definitely didn't want to get a traditional lathe for that um and the swiss is just cool you know just like watching them uh, and videos like i'd never even seen one until i went up to millennium the place i bought it from in south bend indiana and saw one on their floor and already i already bought it before i'd even seen one before in person um i don't even remember looking at him at imts or anything um so it was definitely always swiss i i shopped around a little bit, different brands, but um, Danny Rudolph is pretty good about answering my annoying questions. So I was like, okay, <laughs> Citizen would be nice because I can lean on him for some help. Um, but I looked at Stars, um, the Tornos machines. I kind of looked at them a little bit, but I know John Grimsmo has like his leaks oil all over the place. So that was kind of like, nah, I don't want that one. I don't want oil all over my shop floor. So I was really narrowed it down to Star and Citizen and after talking i just had i talked to the reps and i felt a lot more comfortable with the citizen guys they're a younger pretty smart group of guys and uh, they have a really nice like a quality control lab and metrology lab at their facility and and they had a nice facility you could go in and they ran some parts let me watch them run the parts they actually programmed all the parts that i'm running right now so all the parts i need for the knife they programmed all of them for me because that is definitely what i've learned to be that's like the tricky part. Like the programs look super simple. They're really short and there's like, it doesn't seem like there's a lot going on, but that's where I'm going to be definitely diving into the, the programming book on that. Cause it's a lot of just hand coding stuff, which I'm not used to at all. I'm all about hopping on fusion and posting out some code and letting her fly. I don't like right. making tweaks and stuff. Um,
0: well, yeah, I'm sure with all the weight codes and, you know, dealing with both spindles at the same right. time and yeah, you know, getting them a, in a sync. lot in on.
1: Right. Yeah. So yeah, just seeing those codes in there is, is kind of crazy, but, um, yeah. So I, I went with citizen and I needed, I didn't know if I was going to get an L 20 or an, an L 12. I ended up going with the L 12 because you can upgrade it to 16 millimeter. So 12 is the millimeter it can run. Right. Um, which I went ahead and got the 16 millimeter upgrade right away, which if I would go back, I would probably not do that because now that i'm seeing it it's just like a simple i could pop it on it's just like a it's just a little spindle but it's not like spindle motor or anything it's just a bolt-on component so i would just wait until i actually needed that to buy it that would be one thing i would i would have changed about ordering um but i have the ability now i guess to go up 16 and uh, the 12 um i liked the door a lot better and i think they just changed this about the 20s um, but the door on mine is it opens up and slides back the older L twenties slide left and right more like a, like a mill door and it's tiny. Like I can't even get my shoulders even close in that, in that thing. So you have to turn sideways and you're in there a lot. Like when you're setting up a job, you're in there quite a bit and your hands are all covered in oil you're dropping out wrenches. rich. It's frustrating in those little things. So I definitely wanted the better door, so that was like the main reason I wanted the better door. And the machine's a little faster; it has faster spindles, it has a twelve thousand RPM main spindle and ten thousand sub. So for little parts, I thought, you know, maybe that'll come in handy someday. Um, but I'm real happy with it. I also probably another thing I might have changed, um but in the future it could come in handy. I got a twelve foot bar feeder. Um, I might have just got a, a six foot one because or it's whatever the space. next size down. Yeah. It's a lot of space and, um, it's a lot more expensive to ship a 12 foot bar. Cause you can ship a six foot bar and a tube pretty cheap. But if you buy 12 foot, you're, I'm maybe down the road, I'll buy a lot more at a time and get a skid charge and then it'll be worth it. Um, but uh, yeah, I would probably just went with a smaller size, especially the volume. We're not like running a ton of parts, you know, like I was, um, Thinking about it, and as fast as this thing is running these screws, I mean, it's probably going to take a, a week or less out of the month to make all we need for a month. So, <laughs> I'm going to have three weeks to make other stuff on the machine. And that was really the main reason that I pulled the trigger on it is because we're buying all these screws now, or we were buying all these screws, bearings, um, and everything. And there's every once in a while we get them from one guy, and that's all he does is sell screws. And every once in a while, I'd go to order and they'd be out of stock
0: that so the like, ti connector guy yeah Ti connector yes yeah, steve yeah.
1: kelly he's really 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 nice to guy but um every once in a while he'd be out of like a certain size length that i need and like you know you never know like relying on anybody outside is like if he got hit by a bus or something hopefully that never happens but you know that would be detrimental to me i'd have to go find a swiss shop around here that can make them and then that could put us back weeks so it's just a Kind of a peace of mind thing, knowing we make everything in-house now. And if I need some screws, I'll go run them off, throw a bar in there and run them off. And what we were spending, um, the amount of knives we want to be able to make per week after we add someone else next week, or even just the amount of knives that we can do on a a good week now, um, how much we're spending on hardware almost pays for the machine payment per month. So it's kind of a no-brainer. It's like, okay, I can pay the payment just by not buying all this stuff and then i can use it to make other parts for 3 weeks out of the month so um i'm really excited to make like a like a titanium pen maybe a flashlight someday um but for now i'm just trying to figure out these screws <laughs> so <laughs> over the weekend i ran like 500 or so of the, the little backspacer screws and they look so good like and it's just nice being able to things that you see that you don't like about the hardware you buy or something, you can tweak that out of them and, and just get them looking really good. So it's, it's been awesome. We were having one little issue with, uh, when I went up to run some three eighths diameter material, I'm getting a lot of vibrations. So the, the tech is coming back to make sure the bar loaders perfectly aligned. It, he already did that, but that might be the issue. Cause like when I spin it up, when I spin it up to 8,000 RPMs, it's starting to sound like a helicopter taking off. So oh. I don't like, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, my brand new machine, so I I slowed it down, and I'm not running it until he's gonna be here Thursday to check it out. So,
0: what size stock are you using for your screws? Eighth inch or?
1: Um, so for the small ones, one eight seven five material, and then for the bigger ones, it's three eighths. The pivot screws are three eighths. Gotcha.
0: gotcha. So
1: yeah, each knife like we were um, so each knife has six 256 screws and we are paying a dollar 50 a piece for those oh wow um you know and then the 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 pivot screws and the barrel is like 13 or 12 or 13 dollars and the bearings that's something i need to figure out where i can get um some decently precision delrin rods to make the bearing cages so that's something i haven't i haven't messed with that at all yet but we'll eventually be making the bearings too um but all that stuff adds up you know um If you're trying to make, you know, more and more knives every month.
0: That's exciting though. Congrats.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm super happy with it. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. Like I thought it was a little more intimidating. I think people try to church it up, make it sound harder than it is. Cause like when you're setting the tools on this thing, like you put your ground stock in there, you go to the tool you want to set, it moves it over for you right over the bar. And then you just crack the wedge loose and slide the tool down where it rests on the bar and snug up the bolts and then it'll move it off the bar so you don't break the insert and then you just tighten it down so it's not it's like everything's just like all the tools are set like on a dead stop almost you know so it's pretty that part of it was a lot more simple than i thought but um it's cool there's a lot you can do with it and like it's making those little um like all the parts that i'm making are under a minute cycle time so it's just it's nuts like that's crazy. How fast is doing it?
0: What are the other options of your machine? Um, like, did you kind of cool live tooling, all that stuff?
1: Yeah, I went with um, blazer, I think is how you say it, like the oil, Swiss lube. And then um, I got LFV, so that's like a variable frequency thing where it breaks the chip, even if you're going too slow or whatever, it'll break the chip for you, which is huge. Um, <clears throat> we didn't have that on, and... Ran a couple of parts, um, in that titanium and it's just bird nesting everywhere. So I would definitely highly recommend getting that. Um, I got the high pressure pump, which is actually given that gave us a lot of problems when we were doing the training.
0: Well, I saw I have, something about you needing a, an entirely new phase <laughs> converter just for that.
1: Yeah. So we don't have three phase, so we're running everything off phase converters. And I got, and it's an American rotary AD30, so it's like a 15 horsepower, it will run a 15 horsepower machine, it's a 30 horsepower phase converter. And the high pressure pump and the machine take the same 208 volts, so we split it and one goes to each. Well, when that pump kicks on, it must take enough power from the machine that it doesn't like that, and it just powers off. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, there was, there's some guy that I talked to on the phone that the Millennium guys knew that had the same problem and has fought with it. And he worked around it in the program and we did that for now. So we have like um, dwells in there so that one spindle speed can get up to speed and sit there for a second before it kicks on the pump. Cause if it's spooling up the spindles at the same time and kicking on the pump, it throws it. Um, but I got, I spent another $5,000 and got another phase converter just for the pump so i don't have to we can just run it flat out but um so that was something i didn't i didn't think about that for sure but yeah lfv was the biggest option that was like i can't even remember now because i ordered this machine last year oh no way yeah it it was out on a boat forever and then they just ended up ordering another one from japan and that one made it (laughs) <laughs> but the the first one, like it, it came there. It just said it's at the port in California. It's at the port. And I, I was asking for updates on it. And, um, finally, like they just reordered another one and that one somehow got through. I don't know what that was all about, but it, yeah, it took months and months to get this thing, like eight months. Jeez. Um, so it's been a long time coming for sure, but finally got it. And LFV was the biggest one. I think it was like 20 grand option. It was like very expensive option, but definitely worth it. Um, One thing I didn't get, and I'm happy I didn't get it was the cutoff brake detection. They have this little, it's like a, just a sensor that goes in there and checks if the bar. And at first, when I figured I didn't have it, we were doing the training. I was like, oh man, how did I not get that? Like that is going to be horrible if that cutoff breaks. And there's two other ways to do it. And you see, like you can, what we did was took a, three eighths by three eighths piece of aluminum stuck it in one of my extra tooling holders and he wrote a little program to where it brings that over over the bar stock by like 50 thou and then it feeds down to the center of it and if it detects there's a bar there it goes into this like low power mode where if it just barely hits something it alarms out and says you know bars in the bar is present or something like that um so that was like a $4000 option that you definitely don't need and there's another way he was telling me you can like bring the sub spindle in and and clamp and then it will try to pull the part or something and if it detects there's something there so there's a couple like workarounds so I'm, I'm glad I didn't buy that at first I was a little bummed when I figured out I needed it thought I did um and the high pressure coolant I think that's going to be super key for um this thing cuz that's like um that's been one of the biggest pains is aiming all those coolant lines in that in that (laughs) machine it's just i'm not used to having my hands oily like coolant all the swiss guys are like oh that's a lot better i love it it's way better than that nasty coolant but if you have nice coolant and you keep it fresh it's not really gross to me at all and it's nice it evaporates off your tools like my workbench just a big grease slick right now and tools got oil on them so i'm looking forward to figuring out how to keep that area clean probably just gonna have like rolls of big shop towels all over the place and something because it's it's a greasy nightmare right now it's <laughs> like stressing me out how yeah. dirty everything is because i like to have stuff pretty clean so
0: yeah that, what i've always said is that like oil is amazing for machines and terrible for people and yeah it is like um it's much better for people because like the, the last shop i worked at half of our machines were oil like even the mills and stuff oh, okay and tool life you know through the roof finishes were amazing but yeah you work on one of those machines for like 20 minutes and you're like well my shirt's all stained with oil and my hands yeah. are all slippery and my workbench oh, yeah. looks like gar- you know garbage and yeah it's just <laughs> yeah. not fun
1: no definitely not but yeah i think that's all the all the upgrades i did besides the 16 millimeter upgrades how many um, live
0: tools does it have
1: it's got four live tools backside um and then it's just got the hook with you can put four front facing tools and four back facing tools. Um, so it's like the type seven, I think is it? It's like, there's like one model up and that's the type 10. And that one's got eight backs, like sub live tools, um, which would be nice. But I don't know. It's For me, I don't, I'm not even using one of them already. I'm just using three of them so far. Right. So.
0: Um, so that's you're, you're milling your torques with them? In yeah, group? so
1: the main spindle cuts the the face OD and everything of the, the bolts, and then it passes it to the sub and threads it and passes it to the sub and holds on to the head of the bolt, and then it just brings it over. And it actually doesn't even face it off. The parting tool leaves a crazy good finish. Um, so it doesn't even face it off. It just parts it off, um, and it already has pre-machined the chamfer or the radius that's going to be on the – Top of the bowl, and then it brings it over and drills it. Um, then cuts the T8 torx, but it's using a uh, I did get a spindle speeder, I guess. Um, and I don't, it, I can't remember exactly how fast it goes. Um, it's programmed at like seven, a little over 7,000 RPMs, but it's like a five times spindle speeder, so it's cooking oh, wow. pretty, cooking pretty fast. Um, because it's using a 20 thou end mill to cut that torx, and it does it like crazy fast um the guy was programming it and i was like i was like you so see you think that's gonna work huh he's like what you don't <laughs> think so i was like i don't know i've tried it in my mill i only have sixteen thousand rpms but i've cut these t8 torques in it and i'm going a lot slower than you're doing and so far i mean it's i haven't broke it yet and i've ran hundreds of those screws so probably like you said the oil has a lot to do with that but but yeah, That's it's, great. it's been awesome. The I wanted the L series because it has the Mitsubishi control. I guess the A series have Fanuc controls, mm-hmm. and I've used Fanuc. I've never even used Mitsubishi up, up until this point. But from what they said, they're a lot, lot better to work with, and they'll do a few things that the the Fanuc controls won't do with those machines. Um, like a lot, I think I'm pretty sure allowing you to, like on the hook tools, if you have one a drill on the front and the back or something and the front and the back, both spindles can be working on the hook at the same time. Um, somehow or something like that, but I don't know. I just trusted their, their opinion on that. Like that's one thing I, I definitely didn't mind with the Swiss process since I've never, I don't know anything about them. You know, right. I'm just like a mill and lathe, a normal lathe guy. So going into the Swiss land, I was
0: leaning on them
1: a lot. And when I Say went for up there, towing?
0: Did you just ask them, you know, yeah, here's they, my yeah. parts, what's bets?
1: Yeah, that, yeah, because I was like, I don't even know what kind of tools to get for this thing. Um, So they, yeah, they got me like a tooling package. I took my parts up there and showed them, and I told them what machine I was thinking about. They agreed that would be the best one for me. And uh, they didn't try to upsell me on anything, which I really like. When, I mean, if I ever go to talk to a machine guy and he's like trying to push crap on me and I know I don't need it, dude, you're not getting my money. I guarantee you <laughs> like I really, before I brought my, my speedio, I, I was really thinking about another robo drill, um, like a long bed robo drill. Cause my old one was just so reliable, even though how old it was. Um, yeah, but the guy was trying to sell me on this, like the max high accuracy modes that they had and for surfacing and the max memory. And this was like very expensive upgrades. And I'm thinking, I don't think I need this for just the very light surfing I do here and there, you know? So, um, I, that's, that was like my main reason I went with Yamazon and went with the Speedio because they were really cool and they didn't try to sell me anything that I didn't need. And I actually think, I think the S1000 is bigger than any of the robo drills, even the long bed one travel wise, if I remember correctly.
0: I think you're right too. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think you're right.
1: Yeah. And I, I got the S1000 because, um, I could fit three of the biggest orange pallets on the table, like perfectly. So there's like a half inch in between each one and it fills the entire table and I can still have my tool setter on there. So it's kind of like cheap automation. Um, I can just pop those three pallets on and like the longest runtime we have is like five hours or something like that. Oh, it's a long, awesome. it's a long time. And then pop you know that that amount of time I can have the next ones loaded pop them on um so i just got i think they're 17 and a half by whatever the widest pallet he makes for the twin delta pallets but yeah it works out perfect um probably if i was the next machine i'm looking at buying is something to grind our blades um because so i can kind of dedicate the S1000 just to handles clips backspacers all the other parts and then grind blades on a machine, because I don't really trust the grinding wheel yet to do more than four operations at a time. So it does the first bevel, the second bevel, and then it does the swedge on both sides. So it's like four ops. And so if like the grinding wheel gets like gummed up and it's heating up blades, I don't want it to go in there and ruin twenty blades that are already heat treated, machined perfectly, and lapped to, you know, eighth inch thick. Um, so I right now I'm just loading four in running it, and it's like a twenty it's like twenty minutes I think cycle time, and then I have to load it all four of them with shoulder bolts to locate and everything and that takes me like probably three minutes so in a twenty minute cycle I'm spending three minutes loading and the machine's just sitting there so I was thinking about getting the smaller the i think it's the r four fifty the pallet changing is mm-hmm. it is that what it is yeah the r four fifty and then just that would be like a dedicated grinding machine and it, I can just get it nice and dirty too. Cause that grinding dust is a pain to clean. Like you have to get in there and just rub it off. Like it, it does not wash down at all. Um, so I was thinking about that or I'm going to IMTS this year and I'm going to talk to a bunch of people, um, bunch of the surface grinding, any kind of grinding guys. I'm going to just take some blades and say, Hey, can we like get some tooling going on this? this CNC grinder to make these make this happen. So I think if, I've been thinking like, even if I bought like a big um, CNC grinder where I was using like the edge of the wheel to come in and cut the plunge, I think that would work great. And then I would have a CNC grinder for the other parts I needed to grind because right now I just have a small, uh, little tiny, like a 6x18 grinder. It's not, not great, but it works for now. So, I'm definitely going to be going to IMTS and, and trying to figure out, go like a grinding route or just get another mill because that, that process is working great. So, might do that. Awesome. Or I might just get an S1000 and, and then because <laughs> I can make other parts on it. Like, that's what I think the pallet changing thing is such a small table, like, a, such a small workspace on a 450. I don't know if that would be ideal for me if I wanted to run anything else but blades on it. So,
0: right, yeah, I mean, it depends on your part size for sure. Like, I know Brad's old job had a few R450s and they ran a ton of different parts on them. Um, but you know, it it really depends on the size of the part for sure, right? Right? Well, very cool. Um, that brings me to the last question I ask every guest every week, which is, What did you research this week? And it can be machining related, it can be anything under the sun just what's been popping up in your browser
1: yeah well um, obviously i've been doing crazy swiss lathe research but i'm also i'm trying to buy a new laptop so i bought one and it's not doing it's not doing fusion very well at all oh no it's a, it's a lenovo legion 5 it's like a gaming laptop i thought i'd have enough ram and everything but it doesn't so now i'm looking at getting another one i'm probably gonna order it as soon as i get off of this call and uh, i'm probably gonna get a thinkpad I was okay. thinking about just upgrading it, but I called them and they said they'd do a full refund. So, oh nice. I think I think that's the main problem I'm having. So you probably got one with a better AMD processor too. I think that is that's probably the key most key thing. I don't know. Though, like I'm just talking out my butt right now because I don't know much about computers. Uh, From what
0: I've heard, for Fusion CPU and RAM is the most important, unless you're yeah. doing like rendering or simulation or something like that. But for CAD and CAM. Those are the two most important, at least from what I've heard. You know, if somebody listening knows better, please feel free to reach out and right. correct me. But th- that's what I've understood.
1: Yeah, I think the 32 gigs of RAM and a better processor. And I like those, those ThinkPads, anyways, because they're spill resistant. And my computer gets pretty dusty sitting in the shop all the time. So,
0: oh, I bet. Yeah, for sure. So,
1: yeah, that's what I've been researching.
0: Okay. Well, I hope, you know, best of luck on your next. Laptop purchase. I know it can be very frustrating. Like you're <laughs> it sitting is. there waiting forever for a toolpath to generate or something. Oh yeah,
1: that's my problem. I want yeah. to see it smooth. I want. I want to see what's. I don't want to see glitching out and stuff. So,
0: yeah, th- that's why I bought this because I was working on a, I don't know, three or four year old laptop at home. Yep. And like I had just upgraded the processor of my shop computer, and I was like, oh, this is so nice. I was Like yeah. no, I really need to upgrade it because I, you know, I do a, a decent amount of programming at home. And I was like, all right, now I, time to upgrade at home too, I guess. Yep, for sure. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been great to kind of hear your story, get to know you more, and you know, hear everything behind Oz Machine Company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, I did a decent job. You know, like I said, this is my first podcast, so hopefully, I didn't bore your audience to death. So.
0: And Patreon thank yous before we leave. Danny, thank you for joining the Patreon. It lets me send headsets to people who need them and put on this show. And thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back next week.